You doing good? Glory to God. Well, I'm so honored to be here with you guys. It's, uh, it is amazing. I know uh, we talk about it and we tell you how overwhelming it is, but it really is overwhelming every time. It is so amazing. Just uh, the level, you guys can go ahead, sorry. Just the level of honor and respect that we have for the Moors makes you or makes me feel that much more honored. And uh, it's amazing to watch and to listen to the testimonies and see what God's doing through their ministry and through all that, that they've got going on in both places and more life ministries traveling and the word production coming about. It's remarkable how great God is and all that he's doing. Amen. Glory to God. We're going to start out today in Ephesians chapter 1. They're up at a party in Branson right now. They're going to minister to a lot of people today. There'll be people from everywhere there. Such a good day. Ephesians chapter 1. King James in verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, According to the good pleasure of his will. We're still ringing on the platform. He predestined us unto adoption. Now, as I was reading that, it amazed me how much love that is. You see... My kids were all born to me. We made plans and arrangements, but they were born to me. They were mine. But to adopt someone, you made a plan of love to take somebody that's not related, not family, to take them into you as your very own. That's a plan of love. And so we're going to talk about love has a plan or has plans for you. Because that's what it is. We have been adopted into a family of God. From before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. And his plan was to adopt us, to send his son Jesus into the world, to save the world that he could adopt all of us. How many of you are Jewish born, Jewish descent? Glory to God. There are a few. Praise the Lord. I'm not one of them. So I wasn't chosen from the beginning 
in the sense of the seed and the tribe of Judah and through Israel and through all of this, I wasn't chosen. So I'm so glad he made a way for me. Glory to God. He loves all of us so much that he looked out and he saw all of his chosen children of Israel, all of the Jewish descent, and and he loved us, you and I, so much that he decided to adopt us. And he made a plan. And he made arrangements. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about how much love that is. I know of quite a few families that have adopted kids. My little sister has two adopted kids. And the length and the effort and the time that it took for those adoptions to come about, you had to want them very badly. You had to go out of your way and make arrangements and go to classes and do all of this stuff because you loved those kids so much that you wanted to get them and bring them in. You wanted to go about that to the point that you you put aside so many other things and you laid aside so many other things and you made a way for that child to be adopted into your family. You opened your home to somebody you didn't know before that. You opened your life to them and you've catered your time around them and you've made an effort for them to feel loved, them to feel wanted in the family. Now that's just in the natural. And my little sister, she didn't have to send one of her kids to be killed to get these other two kids. But Jesus did. Jesus bore that all for us because He was willing to give His life and the Father was willing to give His Son. That's a serious plan. Amen. Amen. Let's look at that in the Amplified. Verse 4. Even as in His love He chose us, actually picked us out for Himself as His own. Glory to God. Let's go to verse 2. I mean, I'm sorry, 5. For he foreordained us, predestined, planned in love for us to be adopted as his own children through Jesus. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but I like that. I like the fact that my God had a plan for me long before I was here. And that he had it all worked out for me. And he does that for all of his kids. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life that after I get through an event, I realize just how much he planned it out. He made a way, even when I did stuff stupid and I miss God, he still had a catch net there waiting for me. I, uh, I wrecked a motorcycle quite a few years ago and I was riding it and the Lord told me, pull over here and turn around. Well, I heard him. I turn into the turn lane, pull up, and I stop, and I'm sitting there with my little blinker on, waiting. And car after car after car after car kept coming. And I couldn't get into the... He told me to turn around in a supermarket. And so I'm waiting. Well, I'm impatient, apparently. And so I'm waiting there, 
And I look, and there's still this string of cars. And it seemed like forever it was probably 10 or 15 cars. It wasn't that many. But apparently my patience was about that long. And so I thought, well, I'll just run over, turn around at the other side of this bridge. And so I head over there, and I wreck on a corner. And so I'm laid out. It's literally tore most of the clothes off of me, sliding around on the pavement and took my helmet off. And so I'm laying over there and I get up and I've got a couple of symptoms. And I stand up and everything in me hurts. But my mind and my spirit are jumping up and down. Because for the first time, I knew I heard from God. I knew he had a plan for me to turn around and be safe. And so I'm standing there and I'm hurting and, and God had a catch net for me. But I'm hurting and I'm just, I'm just going, glory to God. That was God at the supermarket. That was God. He told me to turn around. And so I'm so excited because I know that I know that God talked to me. God talked to Rob and told Rob to do something so Rob wouldn't end up on the side of the road with half his clothes tore off by a motorcycle. And I'm going, glory to God. Lord, I'm sorry I didn't listen. But glory to God, you talked to me. And so I'm so excited about it. Well, he had a plan for me. The love of God surrounded me. A paramedic was two cars back. So he's right there by me. A state patrol was there within just seconds, and he was in a position that he kind of saw what had happened, and so I didn't get in any violation or any kind of traffic issues or anything like that. And within a minute and a half to two minutes, an ambulance was on its way through, making its regular rounds, coming back from another area, and was right there on site. Now that is the plan of God, the love of God, that even if we messed up, He's right there to surround us with his love. Amen. So that's the kind of stuff I want to talk to you about. So let's go back and let's look in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. And verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram... Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be blessed. Go on down to verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, in that word from the Lord, did you see Lot's name in it? If you go back and you look, Lot's a nephew. And Lot, or Abram's brother had Lot, and then God calls Abram out of his family and his kindred. Is Lot kindred? But God told Abram, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to leave your kindred, 
and I want you to go away. And Lot tagged along. He's not mentioned anywhere in the word of the Lord, but Abram brought him in, kind of adopted him into his family. He said, okay, Abram, you can come with, or he said, okay, Lot, you can come with me. And so Lot went with him. And in verse 5, Abram took Sarah, or Sarai, her name hadn't been changed yet, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten. And so he takes all of his stuff and he departs. And Lot gets to go with him. So they go on down to Egypt. If you go on down to verse or chapter 13 and 1. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. It says, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And if you go down to verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Well, unless you got stuff, you really don't need more than a pup tent. So to have tents means you got more than just what's on you. Because it doesn't ever really talk about a whole lot of the other stuff that Lot has. But yet he's got herds and flocks and tents and obviously people to take care of it. So Lot has tagged along with Abram and been blessed with faithful Abraham. Glory to God. Well, let's go on over to verse 9 and 13. And this is after they both got so big the land couldn't sustain them. So Abram says, Lot, there's strife between your servants and my servants. And so let's depart. Let's split up because the land can't sustain us. And if you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And Lot looked out and he saw the great land over toward Sodom. It was the land with all the water holes. It was the land with the most green grass. It was the plush, the best. Well, this is a testament to the love that Abram had for his now adopted son, Lot. He gave his son, adopted son, kind of, the very best choice. You take whatever you see. And he looks over and he goes, wow, that's all the water and all the grass. You know what? I think I'll take that. And so he goes over there. Well, Abram leaves and goes the other way. And so it looks great for Lot. Well, then, if you go on over to chapter 14 and verse 1, the kings around Sodom and Gomorrah, four of them, five of them, no, four of them, they come against the five kings in Sodom and Gomorrah and they have a big battle. Well, Lot's in that area. So Lot and his family get taken by these other kings that had defeated the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and they go off with Lot and his family and all of their stuff. And it talks about their numbers and that they're, I mean, this is 
This is four kings versus five kings. So there's more than 10 or 20 people fighting this battle, right? Well, if you go down to verse 14, in chapter 14, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, 318 people. They just had a war between four kings and five kings. Thousands of men out on the battlefield. And Lot got taken. So Abram gets his 318 guys and goes out after this armies of these four kings. Praise the Lord. God is good. In verse 16... Actually, 15, you might as well read it. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, all 318 of them, by night and smote them and pursued them under 318 guys. They divide and they conquer and these armies of four kings are running from 318 guys. Go to 16. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Glory to God. It's good to have uh, an adopted dad. See there, he calls him his brother. He's coming into the family more and more, isn't he? So he rescues him. Then if you go over to chapter 18, this is the Lord visiting Abram. He saw three men in verse 2. Three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And then he asked them all the way through... If they would stay, that he could fetch water, he could make their food. Verse 6, And Abraham hastened unto the tent unto Sarah, said, Make ready quick three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. This is where he got blessed with having the foretold in the next year, Isaac. But if you go on down in verse 17, he said, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? You see, God came to Abraham, him and two angels. In verse 19, he says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord unto the justice and judgment. And the Lord 
may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. Then Abraham, Abraham finds out what's happening. And the angels leave him. But the Lord said, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned, and they left. But it says, And Abram, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So the angels took off and headed to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Lord stood there and talked with Abraham. And this is when Abraham's going, Hey, Lot's there. And he comes before the Lord and he says in verse 26, I'm sorry, let's back up. In verse 24, he says, Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou destroy and spare not the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Well, the Lord comes back and he says, All right, you're correct. A righteous judge shouldn't judge the righteous with the wicked. So he said, if I find 50, I'll leave it. The whole place will be spared. Well, then Abraham's doing calculations. He may have came over there and took a herd to, to deliver there. And he's thinking, man, I've never seen 50 righteous over there. He goes, well, peradventure, there's only 45. And then there's only 40. And then there's only 30. Then there's only 20. Then there's only 10, and the Lord for 10 said, I will spare the whole city as filthy, nasty, ugly as it is. I will spare it all for just 10 righteous people. Now that's making a plan for us. Amen. That's loving us to put up with all of the stuff that's going on and... Uh, It's pretty, it's pretty bad over there. And we talk and hear talk about how bad it is here. But I want to read you something and you tell me if it's as bad. Chapter 19 Verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Go ahead, and we're going to go through a few of these. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, under your servant's house and tarry all night. Wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your way. Now what's he trying to do? He's at the city gate. And he's out there toward the end of the day. And he sees two men come in and he says, Whoa, whoa, stop. Don't go into the city. I pray you. It's almost nighttime. I pray that you just come into my house. And I'll keep you safe. You can wash up. You can get up early and you can go on your way. 
He's saying, don't come in here. You don't understand what's going on. You don't know what these people are doing. I want to help you. Don't go there. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Verse 3. And he pressed upon them greatly. He's like, no, no, no. No, you don't want to be in the street at night. Please come in my house. Please just come in. I'll make you some food. I'll give you some water. You can get clean. Just come in. Please don't do that. Don't, don't stay in the street. And so he pressed upon them greatly and they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat, verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. That tells you a whole lot about that story. This group of people was all of the people in Sodom. From every quarter of the city, both young and old, and they surrounded the house. Verse 5. And they called the lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. How many of you read Genesis? So-and-so knew so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so. They want to know them. Where are these men? Verse 6. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. This is love. You got a mob of people surrounding your house trying to get at two people. And you step out and you close the door behind you and you face everybody on your own to protect those two people. Glory to God. Verse 7. And said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. 8. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and you can do to them whatever's good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. I'm going to send my daughters out. You guys can have your way. But these men came to my protection under my roof. And I'd rather give up my family than you hurt them. Verse 9. And they said, stand back. And they said again... This one fellow came to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now, I don't know if you know the story, but that guy came in and went in to the house, and the lady was sent out, and they killed her, molested her, killed her, left her for dead at the doorstep. And he sent that out as a testimony against Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what he's talking about. Now will we deal worse with you than with them? He's saying, we're going to kill you. You might as well get out of the way. We're going to do worse to you than we did with the last one. And you know the story. And Lot did. You know what we did. And we're going to do worse to you. Just let us have those two guys that came in there. And they pressed sore upon the man, Lot, 
and came near to break the door. Verse 10. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house and shut the door. The angels brought him back in. Verse 11. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door. So God and the angels, they saved Lot because he was righteous. We might as well go on down to 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. Verse 13. For we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is wax great. So the Lord's going to destroy it. But because Saul or because Lot was righteous, him and not just him, his whole family, everything he has gets saved because of one righteous person, because of the provision and the plan that God made that he was adopted with Abram who became Abraham. And then he chose the best place, thinking it was the best path. Well, then he got kidnapped and hauled off, and Abraham came and saved him. And then he goes to Sodom, and he's back in Sodom, and it's so much worse than anything we've ever seen here. How many of you ever seen that bad anywhere around the U.S.? Where the whole city... Every single person comes out to molest anybody that comes into the place. Young and old, every person of the whole city. But God had a plan to save the one righteous. He didn't find ten, but he found one. And so he brought him and his house out. Go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 and 11. We're going to do the NIV. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he'll do it for just one person. Glory to God. Now let's go to 1 Samuel. And I think we'll start in in chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, we've heard the story, and so Samuel goes over to Jesse and tells Jesse, the Lord's sent me to anoint one of your kids as king. Why don't you bring them in? Well, Jesse's got eight kids. And so, um, go to verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on his, the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So they bring all of these kids in, seven of them. The seven brothers of David all come by Samuel. And Samuel looks at them and the Lord says, nope, not that one. And another one comes in and he's like, oh, now that's probably this one. This guy looks good. And he goes, no, not that one. So he brings in another one and another one and another one. And another one until the seven older sons have all came by. And the Lord's like, no, that was not it. And he's like, you got another boy? This is all I see. He goes, oh, I got David, but he's out there with the sheep. It's not him. And so he sends for him. And he comes in. You might as well look at that. Verse 11. It's comical. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are all thy children? Are they here? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keeps the sheep. Kind of like, you know, he's not going to be the guy. So you need to just look at these other seven and figure out which one you missed it on because one of these are it. And so... He brings David in, and David is the one. And so he anoints him, and God sets into motion into his life a plan. And so David gets anointed as the king of the future for him. And then, verse 17, now Saul is the king. He said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18. Then answered one of the servants. Now this isn't Samuel. This is another servant of the king. He says, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing and a mighty, valiant man and a man of war and prudent in manners and a comely person. And the Lord is with him. So David goes from the sheep field. He's anointed. And then another guy suggests him to come and play for the king. And so he comes in and he plays for the king. So Saul sent a messenger, verse 19. He says, send me David. And then verse 21, David comes to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. 
and he became his armor bearer. And then in verse 22, he says, he talks to Jesse and he says, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So not only does all of this happen, but now he is in the castle with the king. And he becomes a common sight. Everybody that is in there now knows, oh, that's David. He's found favor with the king. He's the guy that plays and sings for the king. Now he's becoming a household fixture to everybody. He's out in front of everybody. The king loves him greatly. And so he's been kind of adopted by King Saul. So much so he tells his dad, why don't you just let him stay with me? Because later, um, he goes back to his house. If you go on into chapter 17, they go to war and Goliath comes out and he's huge. I was thinking about that. Um, my notes say that his spearhead weighed 15 to 18 pounds. And he's wielding it around like it's a toy. And so then that made me think. Dan has a 20-pound sledgehammer that we can't hardly get people to touch. It's two pounds more than this weaver's beam spear that Goliath's carrying around and using and moving around. And we got people dragging that 20-pound sledge Every time we ask for it. Can you grab that? And when they pick it up to use it, they pick it up and... Because it's pretty heavy. On the end of a stick, it's really heavy. Grab you a 20-pound sack of flour, tie it to a broom handle about six feet long and see how well you move it around. This was Goliath. <laughs> and so Goliath's there, and if you go on into 17 and verse 15, it says, But David went and returned from Saul. So all of this time, he was with Saul in the castle. And Goliath came, and they went to war. He's still with Saul. And so finally, he goes home in verse 15. And this Philistine has now been presenting himself for 40 days. And Jesse, David's dad, says, Hey, why don't you go check on your brothers? Your three older brothers are fighting up there. Go see how they're doing. Make sure they're okay. So you know the story. David goes up and he checks on his brothers. And when he gets up there, the people are afraid. All of the armies of Israel are afraid. And he's like, what is going on? Why are you guys afraid? It's a war. Fight somebody. Because they're on one side and we're on the other side and nobody wants to cross the middle. Battle. You have to contact. They didn't have long-range rifles back then. Come on, go. We're fighting them. They're mouthing us. Somebody go out there. And so he hears them taunting. And he's like, what are we doing? Why are we afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine that's mouthing the one and only God? And so this boy and his brothers get mad. 
But apparently he talked to enough people that finally he's so confident, so convincing that finally they go, we got to take this boy to Saul. Now, that's pretty good confidence. You got a whole army of thousands of people that have been fighting, that are fighters, and they're scared out of their wits to the point they're standing on the other hillside looking over going, oh, I hope he doesn't cross that valley. That is one big guy. We'll just leave him over there. Because morning and evening for 40 days he stepped out. He said, just send one. I don't want to have to kill all of you. Just send one. If I kill you, we'll just go on and play nice. And so for 40 days and nights he taunts them. And then here comes David. And he said, oh, no, that's not right. And so he says it with enough confidence they take him to Saul and he's telling Saul about it and Saul's like, no, no, you're a boy. Go go play with stones or something. And he goes, he goes no, no, I can do this. He's coming against my God. And so it swells up in him. And this little boy in the sight of these men becomes a man worthy to send out. And the confidence in him and the way he carries himself and the way he's talking about it makes them confident enough that they're willing to to risk all of their lives on this one boy that will cross the valley to get to that giant. And so they do. And they put all of this armor on him. And in verse 39, it says, David girded the sword upon his armor. And as he, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved. I really like that. See, he put all this armor on and it was Saul's. And Saul, if you read before, he's a big man. They put all of Saul's armor on him. And he's like, no, no, no. This hasn't been proved. I know my sling. I know my staff. This other stuff, I don't know it. I don't know what it's capable of. I don't know what to do with it. I'm not proven with it. I'm going to go back to where the Lord has anointed me. I'm going to stay in the place that God's appointed me to be in. And so he takes off all of this garb and he grabs his sling and he picks him up some stones. And he goes out and they're, they're telling him, this guy's huge. He's been killing people longer than you've been alive. And he goes, oh, no. He doesn't even call him by name. He said, oh, no. He's an uncircumcised no covenant mouth. And he's going to be just like the lion. He's going to be just like the bear. Now that in itself should have impressed some of those guys. The lion comes and this little boy grabs him by the beard. Now I don't know about you, but my arms aren't long enough for me to want to have a hold of a beard of a lion. 
That's way closer than what I would want to be. So this little boy grabs the beard of a lion and kills it to get his sheep back. And then he takes on a bear and he kills him to get his sheep back. And now, through the Spirit of God, he sees the sheep of God scared and huddling. The armies of the Lord. And he sees a Goliath that's trying to hurt him. He says, oh no, you're not hurting those sheep. God made a plan. And he steps out. And I think God pushed the stone, helped it along. Because it hit him in the forehead, sunk in his head, and he dies. And the king made a lot of promises to David. His family would be free. He'd get his daughter. And then if you read on, he tells him, Okay, I'll give you my daughter. But then he starts hearing stuff about David. David, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his tens of thousands. And so he goes, No, why don't you give me a hundred Philistine foreskins? And then you can have Mike and my daughter. Because he's angry with him. He lost favor with Saul. And so David goes out and Saul's plan is to kill him and let the Philistines kill him. And so <laughs> David, what does he do? He goes out and go to 18 and 25. I just like the tenacity of David. 25. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires not any dowry, which he's supposed to get his daughter for killing Goliath. So he's already went back on his word because that was a condition. Whoever killed Goliath got the king's daughter. His family didn't have to pay taxes. They were free in the country. So he already went back on it. And he says, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Go on down to verse 27. Wherefore David arose and went, out and went he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king. He thought, oh, a hundred. Why don't we just get two hundred? Your daughter, she looks good. We'll just do two hundred. And so David goes and does this. Well, as the story goes, he loses more favor with the king to the point that the king's throwing spears at him. The king's trying to kill him. The king's sending armies of his men out to find him. And God delivers Saul to him on multiple occasions. And David could have killed him. And one thing that tells you about the heart of David, one of the events, David has the chance to kill Saul and he cuts just a piece of his clothes off. In the next verse, it says his heart hurt him. That tells you a whole lot about the man David. Because the word of God says, touch not mine anointed. 
And so David's heart ached and hurt him because he had cut a piece of clothes off of his enemy. Even though Saul was acting completely out of character and was being bothered and tormented by demons and is trying to kill him, his heart hurt because he had went against the anointed of the Lord. That's some love. Glory to God. Saul even tells him in one of the occasions, you are more righteous than I. Because I meant evil and you did me good. Glory to God. Go to Second Peter. Chapter 2. And verse 7. This is about, the other ones before that talk about how he, well, you might as well go back. Go back to, what is it, five? And he spared not the world, but saved Noah. Go back to four. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them unto chains of darkness. And then verse 5, he didn't spare the one, people, the wicked ones in Noah's day, but he only spared Noah and his family. And then if you go down to verse 7, he rescues Lot. He delivered just Lot. Now he doesn't mean only. He means just, right, right standing, righteous. And if you look at that in the NIV, and he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of the lawless men, verse 8. For that righteous man, uh, we can go on down to verse 9, I mean 10, sorry. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority, behold, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, verse 11. Even the angels. So, my notes may not be correct. Go back to 9. Okay, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. You see, every trial David and Lot went through, God rescued them out of. And he made a way for you the same way. He has a design for you. He has a plan for you. Now, we went through two people that most everybody's familiar with just so you can see they messed up. They come back in. They messed up. God had a way. You're not a mistake. God didn't see you one day and go, oh my, look what they turned into. He's not shocked. He has a plan. He looked out and he saw you. And he saw everything you've become, everything you would become. 
And he says, man, I love them. I'm going to make a way so they can come and be with me. I'm going to adopt them into my family. I'm going to make a way so that no matter what they did, they wouldn't have to feel unworthy. They wouldn't have to feel like an outcast. But they could come and they could join me. Glory to God. Go to Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4. You might as well go back to chapter 3, verse 26. It kind of all runs together. I don't know that there was an actual split in that. So, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Keep going. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now the other day we were talking about that, about the prodigal son and how the dad saw him when he was a long ways off in his filth and in the nastiness of wallowing with the pigs and wanting to eat of the pods that the pigs were eating. And then he come to himself and he decided to come home and he was filthy and nasty. But he got up in the state he was in and he headed to his dad. And his dad saw him a long ways off and loved him and ran to him. And the first thing he did was he didn't want to hear the story He just wanted to love on his kid. He didn't want to hear what had happened and how this had been and how how wrong he had been. He just wanted him to love his dad again. He just wanted to put his arms around him. And he sent him after the robe and he put on the robe of the family. Now that robe is the same as putting on Christ. We're putting on His righteousness. We're putting on His covering so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That we can come boldly unto God in any state we're in and say, here I am. And not grovel like the like the like his son was doing. Oh, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I've sinned. I've done. And he's giving a full layout of all of the stuff he'd done. And his dad stops him and he goes, no, no, no. Go get the robe and the ring and the shoes. Let's clean him up. That's what God does. That's the plan he has. And so it doesn't matter what you came in with. You can go out with the robe of righteousness. Let's go on to the next verse. There is, therefore, there is neither... Jew nor Greek, neither there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Keep going. And if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, that puts us right back into Abraham and Lot. You can be adopted just like Lot. 
You can be brought right into the family. If you weren't a part of the seed of Abraham as far as being born into that seed, you can now be engrafted. Now, so many times when we talk about stuff like that, people get the idea it's salvation. Well, it is. But it's so much more. If you're saved, the good news isn't just that you're saved. The good news is that there's benefits. Lot got taken in with Abram. And Abram took him under his wing and he came out rich. He got protected from events. He got delivered from the, the wiles of the enemy. He got delivered from captivity. He had benefits by being an adopted son. Well, God is so much more. He has so many more benefits for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. There's benefits to being righteous. Psalms 34:15 says the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Psalms 34:17 says the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. Proverbs 15:29 says the Lord is far from the wicked but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. Psalms 34.19 It says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of a couple of them. You guys are good. I like that a whole bunch. Out of all of them. Glory to God. Psalms 37, verse 25. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength. In time of trouble. Psalms 92.12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. I thought that was pretty good for down here. One, Psalms 146 and 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Proverbs 10 and 24. The... The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon them, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. Proverbs 15, 6. In the house of the righteous is much treasure. Glory to God. Proverbs 18, 10. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked flee when no man pursues them, but the righteous are bold as lions. There's a lot of benefits to being righteous. James 5.16 
says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You got benefits. Love made a plan for you. Right where you are. Exactly the way you are today. And all we got to do is step up bold as lions. And say, Lord, I put on Christ. That old man's dead. There's a ton of scriptures that talk about that. That old man, he's gone. Put on a new man. Not just for salvation, not just for healing, but for everything. For every day, for everything that comes across your path. Every time you go into something, I was, uh, I was coming back toward the uh, Branson Church one day, and I was kind of in a hurry, and I was coming through one of the side roads, and it's four lane, and there's not hardly anybody on it. And I come around, and I was coming up to the stop, the stoplight, and I normally am going to the left at the light. I get up there, and the light's red, and it usually changes pretty quick. And I get up there that day, and I believe the Lord was dealing with me, and I sat there for a second. And there was a couple of vehicles in the first lane on my left. And uh, I had, uh, they, they were slowing down to stop. And the light changed. And I sat there. I was like, the Lord was dealing with me. Just wait. Well, I heard him that time. And I obeyed him that time. And I sat there for just a second. And I couldn't really see anything. And so I sat there for a second, and then I started to go, and about the time I started to go, a truck came through the light at about 60 or 70 trying to beat it. And if I would have went when the light changed, I'd have been in the middle of the intersection, and I couldn't see him for the vehicles that were in the first lane. He had made a way, and he had talked to me, and he had told me, hey, give it one second. You'll understand in a minute. And so many times when he tells us stuff, nothing happens. Now that's the best outcome you can have. Because that day, he told me to wait, and nothing happened. The truck blew through the intersection, and I got to go on my way. Nobody got held up. Nobody got wadded up into a ball. It was a good day. You see, he's got a plan, and he's prepared for you. And he's made a way. We can put on that righteous robe. (laughs) There's people here today that you feel like what you've done in the past is just too bad. It's too mean. It's too vicious. It's too much. God has this ability because He's God that when we ask for forgiveness, it's completely gone. There's not a remnant. I know nowadays you can take a hard drive and 
you can erase it and pull it out and, and you can do all of this stuff and think you've got rid of it, but somebody else can come back in and do some stuff and pull it back out. Yeah. There's not that ability with God. When you come before Him and you say, Lord, I messed up, forgive me. At that moment, it's gone. You have to forgive yourself. You have to be willing to go on. You have to be willing to start from today and move forward. You see, Lot could have been all bowed up. He got away from Abram and he took this place. And and when he got over there, it was great for a season. And then he found out the men were wicked. And then he got captured and taken out. And he could have beat himself up and said, Oh, I should have went the other way. Oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. And, I, and you can second guess every decision in your life. But you can't change it. So don't waste your time thinking about it. Don't waste your time dwelling upon the past. Look ahead. Put Jeremiah 29.11 back up. It says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Do the amplified. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans of welfare and peace and not of evil, not for evil. To give you a hope in your final outcome. He doesn't want you to think about the past. Have you ever thought about why God says I am? Because he's not an I was. God doesn't live in the past either. He always says, I am sent you. I'm current. I'm now. I am. Not I was. He doesn't live there. He wants you to have a plan for the future. Because He is and I will be. He's coming back. He's going to get His church. He's got a good plan for us. He wants you to plan. He said, without a vision, you'll perish. That vision is for the future. That vision's not for the past. (laughs) Glory to God. Why don't you all stand to your feet? (laughs) There's a... There's some of uh, some of you in here that uh, you just need to forgive yourself. Everybody else around you has forgiven you. And the ones that haven't, they may not understand what love is and you need to be believing for them. And I don't, I don't feel so much like it's a salvation kind of thing. I think you know the Lord. I think you go to the Lord and you've asked him over and over to forgive you. And you've asked him to help you with it. And you've asked him to pull it off of you. And you've asked him many, many times, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. 
Lord, forgive me. Well, he did the first time. And the second and the third and the fifth and the hundredth and the thousandth and the ten thousandth. Every time he's faithful. But I feel like you need to just wash it away. You need to get rid of it. Get rid of the past and start living for the future. Get rid of those thoughts and those feelings of the past. And let's start today afresh. Let's start today anew. Because he loves you so much that before the foundation of the world, before he put stars in the sky, before he formed Adam and Eve, before he did all of these things, he knew you. And he knew you'd be in Sarasota, Florida on this day, in this service. And he had a plan for you. And he just wants you to know he loves you so much that from that time on, He's been making today happen. He's orchestrated events in your life. He's brought you through events to get you to here. He's moved your schedule around to be able to get you into this place at this time, at this appointed location, because he just loves you. Glory to God. How many of you are so thankful for the love of God? It's amazing. And as we go on and we walk closer with the Lord, the closer we get, the more we realize, wow, the love of God. And then we get closer and we look again, we're like, oh, wow, the love of God. It just grows in you and on you. So choir, let's sing something for just a minute. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, Lord, I do. I never even worry that I might not make it through because I trust you, I trust you, 